We're going to be in uh, Romans chapter 6, uh, verses 12 through 14. Uh, it'll be under a new heading. The heading is, Stop Letting Sin Reign. Stop Letting Sin Reign, verses 12 through 14. Stop Letting Sin Reign. We've seen before, uh, from Romans 6, well basically through our study up until this point, we've seen that we are free from the sin nature through Christ. That when Christ was crucified, we were crucified because we were baptized into Christ. And we see that in Romans chapter 6, that we're baptized into the person of Christ. We are baptized into Him. That when He was crucified, we were crucified. When He was buried, we were buried. When He was resurrected, we were resurrected unto a new, uh, a new power source, basically. Newness of life. We have resurrection life in Christ Jesus. Not because we are so great. Not because we are just awesome. Or because we just look so good. None of that. We have it because we are in Him. Because we are in Him. And what is true of Christ now becomes true of us. Because we are baptized into Him. Praise God. What is true of Jesus is true of Tanner. Thank you, Lord. Good, good thing for that because yeah. a lot of times if you just look at Tanner, you will you will be disappointed and you will not see Christ. I'll just let you know. Just ask my wife. <laughs> Today was a wonderful example of that. I was exhausted. I worked from seven thirty a.m. yesterday after working forty hours during the week. I worked from seven thirty a.m. until one thirty a.m. Uh, with no breaks or anything, I was exhausted. We had a baseball tournament at the park, and even though we had all that weather, we were playing, which means I was working very hard to make sure that there was no water on the fields so that they could play baseball. So I was exhausted. I was so tired. I, I didn't even go to praise practice this morning. I was that tired. I just, I just slept. I just slept. <laughs> just like last week, he gives more grace. He gave more grace yes. and a one-hour nap. Amen. Praise God. But today, if you would have been with me, you would have seen. You would have probably seen a lot more of Tanner and a lot less of Jesus. Because I was tired, and uh, even though I was in Christ, the you didn't actually see uh, Christ-like character in me. Seven today. Because I was exhausted and just agitated. And at the end of the day, though, that is no excuse. And it is still sin. Amen. Amen. Brother Tanner. <laughs> Even though I was tired, still not an excuse. It's still wrong. But praise God, he gives more grace. Yes. He gives more grace. So we are in Christ and we are crucified to the sin nature. We have died to the sin nature. In Christ. Now that we know that, we have seen that, and now we know it. Now Paul just lays down the law, so to speak. And now this, in 12 through 14, we see, now because you now know that you are in Christ and you have been crucified to the sin nature, now stop letting it rain as if you are still a slave to it. That's the idea. Because you were a slave, and then through baptism into Christ, you were freed from that slave master. So stop letting it reign like a slave master over you any longer. Amen. As the kids and the youth, well actually it was a little, little, uh, one of Brother Daniel's uh, sons, uh, Tame Pastor, that's what he called me. Tan <laughs> Sometimes teaching in youth. Tan Amen, brother Tan Pastor. <laughs> Let's go ahead and read verses 12 through 14. And then we're just going to jump in this. There's going to be quite a, I'll just tell you now, there will be quite a bit of information. And as we get to verse 14, we're going to look at the handout that you have. 
uh, the government of law and the government of grace. You have two of them. One is just really simple to read and it's just very simple. And then this one right here is a little bit more detailed. Uh, this is probably be the one we look at. Um, but the other one is actually it's the same thing, but just a lot shorter. So it's concise. It's a good word. Concise is a good word. Thank you. Brother Dad, Pastor Pastor Okay, verse 12 through 14. When you're there, say amen. Amen. Praise God. You are good. You are fast. Let not sin, therefore, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God as those who are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for you are not under the law, but under grace. Now remember when we see when the, with that word sin, what's good? It should read the sin nature. Were you going to say? Were you I saying? love that. Oh. Yes. When we get there, we'll look more in detail. I say we'll look more in detail. That word, it's interesting that the, the, the Holy Spirit inspired, when it comes to scripture, the Holy Spirit inspired every single word that was used. This is why it is vitally important that you use a word for word translation because every single word yeah. is inspired. And I'll show the difference that word shall, it could have been should. But why did the Holy Spirit choose to sift through the vocabulary of Paul and use the word shall instead of should? Because the word should changes everything. Just, just that. Well, you know, it's just a word. That word changes the whole meaning of that. That's how important it is to use a word-for-word translation instead of the others, which thought for thought, phrase for phrase. Am I missing Paraphrase. My dad, my dad. I'll just tell you the truth right now. Let's just get the tan pastor doesn't have unlimited knowledge about uh, translations, but Robert Pastor does. <laughs> so if you have any questions, I encourage you ask him. If you ask me, I'll do my best. At the end of the day, I'll probably just hold up a big arrow that says. <laughs> a big arrow that says to the right, roll direction. <laughs> Verse 12. Dad, go ahead. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body. This tells us that the sin nature is not dead, nor is the believer completely free from sin, even though he is free from its dominion. That's very important. We are not completely free from sin. We are free from the dominion of sin. But the, the presence of the sin nature is still right here inside Brother Tan Pastor and you. Just like my dad said this morning, if you, no, I only have, I only have pure, uh, pure, pure thoughts, pure mind. No, you still have the presence of the sin nature. Therefore, sometimes you're just going to bite off a big old piece of stupid and do something. <laughs> it's just reality. Yeah. We're not, the trump of God has not sounded. We are not, we are not perfect yet in our condition. Brother Tan Pastor still needs sanctification, and it is a process. And I am not as far in that process as I'd like to think that I am. And trials and circumstances and tiredness in my body reveal how unfar along I actually am. But God has made a way through Jesus that we can be free from the dominion of yes. sin. One day, the presence of sin will be gone. Yes. Amen. Right now, the penalty of sin has been removed through Christ. The penalty of sin is death. But yet in Christ, 
you won't be dying. Because the penalty of all of your sins has been taken care of. Past, present, and future sins that you repent of are immediately placed under the blood, washed away, and the penalty for that sin is also removed. Jehovah Jireh. He provided a lamb who took your place and paid the penalty for your sin. So if Christ has paid the penalty, then guess who will not be paying the penalty? It's me. Because you can't have it both ways. If Christ pays for the penalty and you accept it, then there will not there's no need to double pay. God will not demand a double payment. It's either Christ paying for the sins or you. If you do not want Christ's payment for the sins, then you'll pay for it. And you well, that will not go well for you. <laughs> because that means you'll receive death. And that's not just physical death. I'm talking about eternal separation from God. Hell, fire. That is death. But if you accept the price that Jesus has paid, that he has paid the penalty for all of your sins, my Lord, you will not be paying for it again. You go buy something from the store and you pay in cash, they're not going to demand that you pay it again. Except in Louisiana where the taxes are. <laughs> penalty of sin has been paid for. Praise God for that. And the power of sin, which is the dominion of sin, has been broken. Yes. And one day the presence of sin yes. will be gone. Yes. And we'll be exactly like him. Praise God. But right now we're not and we still have to deal with the power of sin in our daily walk. But Christ has taken care of that too. Mm. That word reign in the Greek, and you have it on your hand now, so I'm not even going to attempt to say that Greek word. Uh, it means to exercise kingly power. To exercise kingly power. In the believer's heart and life, even though the sin nature is still there, it is a dethroned monarch. It is no longer, it should no longer be exercising kingly power over you. If you look, it's sometimes, and honestly in America, we don't, it's, our brains sometimes don't, especially uh, my generation, <laughs> our brains don't necessarily understand it that much because we live under democracy. There is no kings or dictators. We don't have that. But, if you live in a place where they have that, then you you would have a better grasp of this. If the, whatever the king says goes, yeah. you don't get a you, it's not you don't get a choice. Yeah. You don't get that option. Well, you know what? We're going to vote on this. There is no vote. What the king says goes. That is the idea. Before the sin nature reigned like a king. What he said do, you didn't have a choice. You did before you got saved, we and we've talked about this, before you got saved, whatever the king, the sin nature said, that was it. You you just you just you obeyed. You just obeyed it. So it the, the, the sin nature shouldn't be reigning like a king in that manner any longer. Therefore, the believer has the responsibility of keeping the sin nature from mounting the throne of his heart, the place which the Lord Jesus alone should occupy. Paul is saying, stop allowing the sinful nature to reign as king in your mortal body with a view to obeying it in the sphere of its passionate cravings. That's what, that's what basically up what Paul is saying. Stop, stop, stop allowing this in nature to reign as a king over you. That you obey it 
through your members, your body. Stop! Stop! And it's not—it's not—it's not a command. It's not—it's not a commandment that can't be kept now, yeah. right? Because he's already broken the power of it. Right. He's already freed you from that monarch. So therefore, if you are free, stop allowing the sin nature to reign over you once again. And remember we talked about the Emancipation Proclamation. If a slave was ignorant of that document, then they would have just kept serving their slave master because they didn't know. That's the whole whole idea that Paul says many times, no you're not. Don't you know? Don't you know about the Emancipation Proclamation spiritually? Don't you know? And the sad part is most people don't. But now that you know about that wonderful document sealed and signed by the blood of Jesus, now that you know about that, stop letting the sin nature reign. You don't have to. You are free from that evil thing. Yes. Amen. Hmm. The next that you should obey it in the lust thereof. Tells us emphatically that the sin nature is still there, but that we do not have to obey it anymore. The word it in the Greek text refers, refers it back to our physical body and not back to the sin nature. So it says that you should obey it in the lust thereof. That word it is not talking about the sin nature. It's talking about your physical body. Right. And there's a reason that it's not the sin nature in your physical body. And I'm about to tell you that. The sinful nature is an intangible, invisible entity. And in fact, cannot be watched as should be obvious. It is an unseen enemy whose tactics cannot be observed and therefore cannot be guarded against. However, the saint is able to keep watch over the members of his physical body. What the eyes see, what the ears hear, what the mind thinks about, what the hands do, and where the feet take him. So that's why the word it does not refer back to the sinful nature, it's referring back to your physical body. Because the sin nature exhibits its uh, authority or rulership through your members of your body. Stealing, what does that involve? Your physical body. <laughs> it, it, pretty much every sin involves your physical body. To be carried out, it involves the physical body. And we'll see, as we move along, we'll see Paul's going to basically just expound on that. Due to the divine nature in the believer... He now has the power to guide the actions of the physical body, which means exactly as Paul said, that he does not have to obey it in the lust thereof. On a daily basis, we have to take up the cross, take up the benefits of Calvary. On a daily basis, if I want to walk free from sin, I have to take up the benefit of victory over sin. On a daily basis... Because every day, guess what I'm going to face? Sin. Every day I'm going to face sin within and without. I got the world system. I got the world, the flesh, the devil. They're just, that's all on the the outside. Well, the flesh would probably be me. (laughs) It's on the inside. But the world, the devil, that's all outward. And then on the inside, I got the sin nature who's still there. I got my flesh who's been corrupted by the sin nature, and flesh is just all about me. I got so I have enemies within and enemies without. When when the children of Israel had to go possess the promised land, they had enemies in the land, and there were enemies outside of the land. You got enemies in the land and outside of the land, and we need 
the benefit of Calvary every single day. And the truth is, moment by moment, I can, I can walk in the benefit of victory over sin successful one minute in the day and then later on fail. What, this is how dependent we are as believers. Lord, I need you. I need, Lord, I need you. I, every hour, that's right. I need thee every hour. It's a good song. Sin most definitely originates in the heart, but it cannot be brought to full fruition unless the physical body is engaged in some way. Haynes actually gives a pretty good picture of temptation that gives birth to so it's the temptation and then it's carried out through the physical body. He's not a professor at the Bible college, but he actually uh, his brother Dan Burrick. He teaches uh, pre-camp meeting seminars, some of the pre-camp meeting classes. And uh, whenever they send the expositors study Bible, when they send those out to third world pastors in third world countries, he goes with them. And then he teaches the message of the cross to those pastors that receive the Bible. He, he said, he said for years he struggled with cocaine. Um, and even after he got saved, he still struggled with it for a time. And he said he was going through a really tough time in his life, and it seemed like everything was falling apart. And then he was at a red light, and the he said a man walked across who I had bought cocaine from. I don't know how many times I bought cocaine from this man, and there he goes, walking right across the road. And here I am at this red light, and I'm battling on the inside. And he said, I was thinking, oh no, I'm about to just blow it. Because when, when, when the waves of hard times, basically, when the billows are just overtaking you, yeah. the truth is, we sometimes turn to some dumb stuff. Yeah. To find temporary relief. Yeah. Amen. Amen, brother Dan Pastor. <laughs> Maybe none of you guys have ever done that. That's true. Yeah. We but, do, but as we got older, <laughs> we learned that it's a lot easier just to stop it right there. Yeah. And he said that the Lord, the Spirit of God, basically spoke to him and reminded him of Romans chapter 6. So the desire came to just, there, there's that temptation that's walking right Good Can't run from every temptation. Hello. We cannot hide under a rock. So we better learn how to walk. We got most Christians just trying to hide. And thinking, well, that's the way to victory. Hide, just hide. Well, just hide. You can't hide from everything. Some things, it's dead obvious. Paul said, flee to Timothy. Flee youthful lust, Timothy. Flee it. But you can't flee everything. So here comes temptation walking across the road. And the Lord reminded him of Romans chapter 6. And then basically... Somewhat asked him this question. Can a dead man, is a dead man tempted by alcohol? Brother Dan Burr said, no. How could he? He's dead. Light bulb. Yeah. All right. I've been crucified with Christ. Yes. There goes the temptation. But my Lord, I'm a dead man. Just keep on passing by. I got no effect on me. I'm dead. Every day we have to live like that. Every day. We have to deny ourselves every day. 
As previously stated, the sin nature is allowed to remain in the believer as a disciplinary measure. It helps the believer to understand that within himself he is weak and unable to do what needs to be done and must constantly depend on Christ. Yes. The sin nature is horrible and because God is so wise and so everything that we are, he knows what's best. And he leaves it there, even though we would like it to be gone. He leaves it there so that we remain dependent upon Christ and know our great need for him. Yes. Otherwise, yeah. we would be the most prideful creatures. That's true. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Self-righteous, prideful. Oh, no, I wouldn't. Yes, you would. <laughs> Why do you think sanctification is a, is a process? And everything, God doesn't make you perfect right then. Because we'd be walking around like we are it, baby. Mm -hmm. My Lord, if you were like me. <laughs> if you dressed like me. If you prayed like I prayed. My Lord, if you read like I read. <laughs> If you were as Christ-like as me, the sad part is that still sounds really like some Christians today. Yes. Because they haven't seen yes. their own weaknesses. Because the focus is really themselves and not Christ. Because if it's Christ, then the only thing that you are looking at is His grace and His mercy. Which means, hello, I was lost. I needed a savior. Even today, I still can't live right without your grace. I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Dear Lord, I can't even walk without you holding my hand. Lord, if you don't provide grace for me today, I'm going to blow it. That's real humility. Yes. That's real humility. Not, it's not a, that's not a false humility. Well, I'm just nothing. That's, that's, that's pride in reverse. Yes. 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 Because the focus is still you. Yes. And it's, it's the worst kind of pride because you deceive your own heart. The man who's just outright prideful does not deceive his own heart. He legitimately thinks he's the greatest thing since sliced bread. <laughs> But the one that proclaims with his mouth, oh, I, no, I'm just nothing. I'm just nothing. I don't even know why the Lord loves me. Wait, it, it's still all about you. Yeah. It's, still, it's still a self-focus. The only thing that you're focused on is you. But yet some true humility looks more like this if you if I go by what I biblically see true humility says within myself I am truly nothing but in Christ I am everything yes, yes. and then you rejoice on that yes do I blow it yeah I do but in Christ praise God yeah I can enter into the throne room of grace. He is my father. That's not prideful. Uh, you, that's, that's a benefit of Calvary. Rejoice in that. But we, so you can be... Pride doesn't just look like the one that's blatantly obvious. And just, it can be just... A, and that's the worst. A cloaked pride. Neither yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But did, oh, stop there. Sorry. This is not a contradiction from Romans chapter 6, verse 6. And I'm going to go ahead and read Romans 6, verse 6. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. And then this verse says, Neither yield you your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. It is explained in the presence of the sin nature remaining within our lives 
and will remain until the resurrection. The old man being crucified with Christ and the body of sin being destroyed has to do with salvation and the power of the sin nature being broken in our lives, even though it does remain. The believer is freed from its dominion, even though its potential is still there. There are three words which figure prominently in the scenario of the believer's victory. The first word is believe. And you see that in verse eight. The first word is believe. The second word is reckon. And you see that in verse 11. The second word is reckon. And you see that in verse 11. The third is yield. And you see that in verse 13. Yield. Verse 13. So we have believe, reckon, yield. Believe, reckon, yield. This is one of the reasons some people say that James and Paul that their teachings contradicted each other. No, they did not. James said, if you believe, you say you have faith, you say you believe, and you say that you have reckoned, then what I should be seeing is yielding. That's what James is basically saying in his book. You say you believe, you say if you have believed, then you have reckoned it to be so, but yet, why am I not seeing yielding? That's what James, that's what James's letter was really about. Do you say you have faith? My dad was teaching on that in, on Wednesday. So, uh, dad, if you just give us a quick little insert of James there. I mean, yeah, you, you're recently familiar with it. So you say you have faith. Should you basically show it by your works. Right. Right, it should be the fruit of works that is exhibited when you have real, genuine faith. And that's what he's meaning. It's not just a profession of faith, uh, uh, mental sin, but belief, true, sincere belief in the heart is always going to produce fruit. It's always, it's always going to yield something. And, uh, and so that's what he was dealing with there. And that's what Paul deals with too, really. They both deal with it from different perspectives. So they don't contradict each other. They actually say the same thing. They're just looking at it from two different perspectives. Right. If you believe it and then you reckon it so, then we should be seeing some yielding. There should be some results. Right. If there's no results, then you have not truly believed and you have not truly reckoned it to be so. You have only seen that, oh, okay, yeah, Christ is, you know, the Son of the living God. I've been crucified with Christ, buried with Him, raised from the dead, and I have resurrection of life in Christ. I'm baptized in Christ. But you have never reckoned it as though, oh, snap, I am actually in Him, and I am actually dead, and I should be living as though I am dead to the sin nature. Yeah. And a lot of other things. So because you haven't done that, then there will be no yielding. There will be no fruit. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus himself talks about the straight gate, the narrow way. Then he talks about false prophets. And then right after that, he says, not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, just, uh, just because it's just, it's just profession. It's just a mental no, no real conversion, no real heart change, no real being born again. As the scripture said, you must be born again. No, they have no divine nature. They are just religious and they just associate with something. So that's why they say, didn't we do such and such in your name, such and such in your name, such and such in your name. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Because... You may have said you believe, but you have never reckoned and you have never yielded. Right. So it's just. Right. Scripture says that, okay, you believe, great, but even the demons believe and shudder. Right. And that's where I was going to uh, go just now. Just, I was thinking about that just now, that very scripture in James, 
That's why he said that, because it was just a simple belief. In reality, some of those that he was talking to in that book, uh, in the letter from James, was those that really, they hadn't, they'd never reckoned either. That was the, the really idea. They just professed that they had a belief, but they never reckoned. Reckoning is a key thing, and you've used that a lot and talked about that. Well, another word that can be used there is count it as so. Count it as so. Reckon it. Count it. It's an accounting term. The idea would be that if uh, you know if you you, you, uh, you need something and you don't have the money in your account uh, to to get it, uh, but then somebody comes and says and gives and gives you the money and deposits it. Literally, they deposit it into your account and say, "Okay, now you can go get that. Now you can go get that thing that you need." But if you never reckon it, meaning you never register that as being in there, and you treat your account as if it's the balance that it was before, so you never act upon it. You never yield. You never uh, show any fruit of that. You you never go get what you need because you're always looking at your account, and your account still shows, I don't have it. And if we don't reckon it so that... Christ, that we are really in Christ and He is in us, then we will never actually go beyond just a simple, as mental ascent in our belief. Because once it goes beyond mental ascent and gets down to our heart, we, we, we reckon it so. Yes, I am in Christ. That's why He keeps emphasizing over and over again we must know who we are. We must believe what Christ has done for us. Forget about who you are. You can't do it. We can't do it. But once we recognize that it's in us because he deposited it in us, then use it. Yes. Right? Is yes. That, that's really what we're saying. But later on in Romans, and obviously we're definitely not there yet, but later on in Romans, I think it's 13 through 16, I think. Uh, basically, Paul gets into practical Christianity. Right. I mean, practical living. Yes. If you have, and a lot, this is what we have done, church, this is what we have done as human beings. We have attempted to get to Romans 13 through 16 and live Romans 13 through 16 and totally bypassing reckoning. Right. We just bypass 6, we, we just, let's just bypass Romans 6, we just bypass reckoning that we are crucified to the sin nature that is no longer, and then so now we just have a bunch of people just trying, try, trying to live right, trying to live right, and the only thing that we're actually, the only th- if, if we accomplish any of it, the only thing that we're actually doing is just like uh, we're just imitating, right? It's just actions imitating. That's wh- why you think what my dad talked about this morning. Why do you think that people? Churches can preach principles because we will imitate. Oh, okay. I need to do that. Okay. Well, we'll just imitate that. But yet, the heart is always far from God. So we can we can have all the principles. We can have biblical principles, and yet still never reckon anything. And it's just we're just imitating. We're just imitating, just like a parrot would just. Mimic what somebody says and have no understanding whatsoever of what he just said. Right. A parrot will just mimic. You say something and the parrot just says it right back. Yeah. Like, well, praise God. Well, he didn't know. Well, he didn't even know. He just mimicked. We got a bunch of Christians just mimicking biblical principles that we see. That we see, okay, I love my neighbor as myself. And we just mimic that. But yet in our heart... Let that neighbor do something wrong to me. <laughs> and yet, on the outside, in through my actions, you'll never know that in my heart I've, I've basically murdered them. Oh, if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Christ bypasses every action and goes straight to the heart. That's where the problem is. If you murdered in your heart, you've already murdered your brother. Even though you might not physically carry it out. But yet you are guilty of it before God. But yet, because we, as as human beings, we can't see the heart. That's why he said, don't 
do not judge. Because you don't know a person's heart. The only thing you can see is the outward things happening. If someone is failing, they're going through something and they... You look at them, it seems like they are just blowing it. That sinner. You you can't see the heart. You can't see. You you can't see that they cry every night. Lord, deliver me from this. You can't see that. But yet you you ready to cast them into hell itself. Into outer darkness. Because you can only see so much. You don't know that they weep daily before the Lord. Lord, deliver me. You don't know. You don't know. You don't know the attacks of demonic spirits. You don't know that. You don't even know the trial and situation that they're going through. We see like, we see hardly anything. Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, help us to see every person in Christ. Yes. Amen. And not in the flesh. Let us judge one another as in Christ and not as in the flesh. Yes, praise God. These express the three energies of the Christian mind which secure and make real a life of scriptural sanctification. Scriptural sanctification. Through believing, reckoning, and yielding, you will find that you will be walking in scriptural sanctification. Not perfection. Nobody said perfection. Not sinless perfection. But sin will not have dominion over you. You might blow it. You might stumble. But remember, you're justified in Christ. You have justification by faith. And in Him, it's as though you're already perfect. So get up. And keep walking. Start walking again. And then there's going to come a day where whatever it is that you stumbled in, you won't stumble anymore. And the truth is, you won't even notice it until the Lord says, hey, remember such and such? And you'll be like, oh my goodness, I haven't done that in like six months. (laughs) Mark, that six months ago, that person cut me off. Oh, (laughs) my, good thing they don't have cameras and speakers in my vehicle because everybody would know what happened. But now, that person cut me off and I don't even care. Paul is saying, stop yielding. We are to stop putting the members of our body at the disposal of or at the service of the sinful nature. Someone cuts you off in traffic and the first thing that you do is you just yielded to the sin nature. They cut me off in traffic, and now all of a sudden, I'm an expert in sign language. <laughs> you, it's, you've yielded to this nature to your members, whether it be the tongue, your hands, or both. <laughs> and Paul is saying, because of, what, because of what's been done in Christ, stop presenting your members as instruments to the sin nature to be used like that. Stop presenting your tongue as an instrument to be used by the sin nature for gossip. Yeah. All right. Oh, we're getting into sanctification now. Stop presenting the member of your tongue to the sin nature to be used as an instrument of gossip. That is not that is not of the that is not of the spirit. That is not of the divine nature. That is of the sin nature. Stop lying. Stop. Paul goes through me. He tells stop lying. Stop fornicating. There's like a whole long list. My Lord, you don't have to. I do not have to yield my members just because I have a thought about gossip or lying. I don't have to yield to that. I'm free, 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 free to live a holy, righteous life before God. Mm, that's biblical freedom, not freedom to sin. Grace is not license to sin. Grace is the way to rise above it. 
Grace does not say it's just well. Don't worry about that gossip. Christ is paid for. No, no, no. Grace is stop yielding to the gossiping tongue because I've delivered you from that. That's what grace says. Yes. You know, a good example of that is the most natural instinct that we have in our own self is see when somebody does us wrong and they they really do us wrong, we we cut them off. Mm-hmm. We cut them off. I mean, we. We either, uh, we may not even talk about them necessarily, but we cut them off. Uh, we're not nice to them anymore. We don't give to them anymore. We don't, whatever. I mean, we cut them off. But scripture says, bless your enemy. Yeah. Do good to those who despitefully use you. Yeah. The freedom that we have is to do that. Yes. We have freedom to do that. We've been set free. Not only do we not have do we not have to cut them off, but we also have been given the freedom now to bless them. That's real freedom. You just said it a while ago. That's real freedom. Because we're not down now by our normal reactions. That that why why do we do that? Why do we close off like that? Selfishness. We're protecting ourselves. We don't have to protect ourselves anymore. Yeah. We're not even our own. Yeah. We're, we're dead to all that. We're his. And so we don't even have to do that anymore. So we're really free to yield ourselves as instruments, not to the sin nature, but to but to Christ. Right. Uh, I already said yield is present. So uh, don't need to say that again, although I did just say it again. The word instruments, the word instruments, Greek is another word that I, it's short, but I'm still not even going to try. It's on your handout. <laughs> and I'll be honest, whenever I was studying this out, this really uh, affected me. I really opened my eyes to some things and made it a lot stronger and I understood it a little bit better. That word instruments in the Greek mean it refers to the weapons of a Greek soldier. That's how, that's the Greek word that Paul used describes the members of your body like that. Weapons of a Greek soldier. That's good. Your, your, the members of your body are, is wet, they are weapons. The saint counting upon the fact that he has been disengaged from the evil nature, the sin nature, does two things. He refuses to allow it to reign as king in his life And he stops putting his members at its disposal to be used as weapons of unrighteousness. Good. That's good. A gossiping tongue is a weapon. That's right. So you yielding to the sin nature and he uses your members as weapons of unrighteousness. Uh, The next... Uh, you can you can go ahead and read through uh, from the dead. Um, let's see where we start. Oh yeah, but yield yourselves to, uh, unto God as those who are alive from the dead. Uh, so, but yield yourselves unto God is just the same as what we just learned. So. As those that are alive from the dead refers to believers who were dead to God before their conversion. And consequently had no power to yield the members of their physical body to that which was right, but rather were at the mercy of Satan, or the sin nature really. But now, after coming to Christ with the power of the sin nature broken, and with the divine nature imparted, the believer is now alive in the sense of being alive unto God, and has the power to do what he once could not do, yield unto God. Present your members unto God yes. as instruments of righteousness. Total opposite. Mm. Uh, go ahead and actually read this. And your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. Proclaims this power now available to the believer, but only as he knows and understands what Jesus has done for him in breaking the dominion of sin in his life. Placing oneself in Christ at Calvary and the resurrection, 
and understanding what it means and allowing the Holy Spirit to help us in regard to energizing these great truths in our hearts and lives. That which was formerly impossible now becomes not only possible, but easy. In other words, the struggle and the fight is gone because Jesus has already fought and won that fight. We don't have to struggle against the sin nature. Jesus has already won that fight. We just yield to the victory that's already been won and just walk in it. You're not going to do it perfectly. I'll just tell you right now, you're not going to do it perfectly. The sanctification process is the process of growing in it. In five years, you should be walking in it more than you are today. Right, right. You should be yielding to the sin nature less in five years than you are today. That's why it's progressive sanctification. And the truth is, we are slow. We're slow. Isn't that a quick thing for us? We are just... I are dumb. And it takes me a long time to finally get something. Because remember, we are sheep. Yes. And sheep are really dumb. <laughs> they are really, really hard-headed. They will just insist. And they'll just keep going the wrong way. Yeah. But one day, one day, one day, one day, whatever it is, right now, one day, if you keep believing and you keep pushing to, and you keep walking in this, Lord, I believe and I'm reckoning on a daily basis. I'm believing, reckoning, and yielding. The Holy Spirit, guess what the Holy Spirit is going to do? He is going to help you believe, He's going to help you reckon, and He's going to help you yield. That's His job. Yes, amen. That's right. He will He will help you to believe the benefits of Calvary. He will help you to reckon the benefits of Calvary, and He will help you yield. That's right. Praise God, my Lord. The pastor needs all the help he can get. I are dumb and messed up. I'm messed up. Just because I stand up here and teach this doesn't make me any less messed up than you are. We are we're all in the same process of sanctification. This is just what God called me to do, and I don't even know why. <laughs> we're all here. We're all it's the same process for everybody. Nope, not one is greater than the other because in Christ we're all the same. We're all just going through the same process. Some may be a little farther along, but it doesn't mean better. It just means you're just a little farther along. You've, you've been learning, you've been walking in a little bit longer than someone else. So if you have truly been walking in this process a little longer than someone else, then you should be farther along. Someone who's been living for the Lord for 10 years and has been walking in faith and grace, God's way, Believe, reckon, yield. And they've done that for 10 years, and then there's a new convert, and he's been walking in it for a year. The one that's been walking in it for 10 years should be farther along than the one that has been walking in it a year. That's right. That's great. But this is where it can get a little tricky. If you have not been walking in this, but you've been saved for 20 years, but you have not been walking in believe, Reckon, yield, and you have not done that for 20 years, and then a new convert gets saved, and he's only been saved for one year, but yet that person that has just been saved has been walking in uh, believe, reckon, yield. They will be farther along in the sanctification process than the one that's been saved 20 years. Because the one that's been saved 20 years, although saved, is not walking in the prescribed order of victory. That God has given us in scripture. So this one year old in the Lord is farther along than the 20 year old. So the 20 year old is still a babe in Christ. And the one year old is just a young adolescent now. 
And the one-year-old is ready for some meat. And the 20-year-old still needs milk. For sin shall not have dominion over you. This passage tells us that sin is still alive and as powerful as ever, but is not a danger to the child of God who follows the prescribed pattern laid out by Christ. The dominion of sin is broken, respecting the child of God. This happens at the very moment the person comes to Christ. But to, main, but to maintain this victory, the believer must understand that Christ has done for him what, what Christ has done for him in this respect and have faith that the Holy Spirit will energize this great truth in his life. Most of the sanctification process is could be could be described, I believe, could be described as maintaining the victory that Christ has already won. Christ has already defeated sin in its entirety. And we have to maintain it. Yeah. It's to maintain that victory. And the only way that you can is believe, reckon you what he's done at Calvary. Right. This is why when, remember, we, we look, and now this passage of scripture has been taught way wrong for years. Not by everybody, but uh, when the disciples get their feet washed by Christ, this is not promoting this is not about serving. I'll just kind of just be honest. It's not about serving. That passage is not about serving. And it is not that we need to wash other people's feet. Thank God for that. I don't like feet. So. I don't like home feet. That is not what that passage is about. Because all you have to do is look at the context. And you have to see if you look at what Paul what, if you look at what Peter said and what Christ said, it actually makes it understand a little bit better. He said, I'm going to wash you. And Peter, being so zealous for the Lord, and of course, remember, Peter would never, Lord, I'll never, I will, I'll never, never deny, you. deny you, Lord. I am all the others may, but not, not me. So you can already kind of get, a, get an idea of Peter's and Peter, honestly, in Peter's heart, he truly thought, he, he, he meant it. Yeah. He didn't just say that, he meant that. Yeah. But he, he didn't have a proper understanding of his own self. He was, he had, he had stock in self. I will not. So Peter can be a little uh, over the top sometimes. And Jesus is there and Peter says, oh no. I'm gonna wash my feet. You are. You're you know, you're gonna wash my feet. I, I should be washing you. Not understanding what's taking place, not having spiritual understanding, not having the eyes of the spirit. And he's just simply, oh no. And then Jesus said, Peter, I, I gotta walk if, if I don't wash you, you gotta wash your feet, Peter. This is a total paraphrase, but <laughs> you're gonna be part of me. And then Peter says, Oh, Everything then, Lord. But wash it all. Peter, one extreme, next extreme. And he said, Peter, you're already clean. Right. Peter, you're, Peter, you're already saved. You're already clean. You believed in me, you're already saved, Peter. You're already clean. It's our walk that needs the cleansing. Right. That's why he cleaned the feet. Right. Because the feet represent the walk. He didn't clean his head because what would we see in, in the armor of Christ? You don't need you don't need your head you're already saved, Peter. You don't need your hands washed, which represent doing. You don't need that wash, Peter. It's your walk that's gonna get dirty as you travel through the world, Peter. Sanctification. My Lord, Jesus has to wash our feet because as we travel through, we pick up things that we don't need to be picking up in our walk. So we the maintaining the victory. 
Peter, you're already clean, my brother. You're already clean, Peter. You know, someone that's already been bathed does not to be, need to be bathed again. Once you get saved, you don't have to be re-saved just because you failed. You're already clean. There's no need to be re-saved, but your walk needs to be cleaned up. Amen. The statement as given by the Holy Spirit through the Apostle is dogmatic in that it is impossible for sin to have dominion over the believer as long as the believer is abiding by the Word of God, which is always faith in Christ. Did we pass up something? We sure did. I was supposed to say. Let me finish this. Which is always faith in Christ and what He did through the cross. The saint should live with his life every day. The, the saint should live his life every day with the consciousness of that fact in his mind. And what I skipped over was what we talked about at the very beginning, should, shall. Yeah. Holy Spirit used the word for sin, shall not have dominion. If it would have been the word should, then it just simply means it'd be like a good idea. It'd be I'm a good idea for the sin nature to yeah. not. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe, maybe not. Exactly. That's, when I was at CBNI, it was a nuclear uh, facility and so the way that things were worded were super important. If you had to come up, you know, you have to wear a hard hat. It didn't say you should wear a hard hat. It said you shall. You don't get the option to not wear a hard hat. Right. If you will be working here, you shall wear a hard hat. If it said you should wear a hard hat, then it's optional. But when it says shall, it means not an option, baby. Yeah. 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 So if you're operating by faith in what Christ has done, believe, reckon, yield, then the sin nature shall not have dominion. It's not an option. It will happen. If you're, if you're walking right, believe, reckon, yield, the sin nature shall not have dominion. So if you're finding that the sin nature is having dominion, then guess what that means? That means you're not believing, reckoning, and yielding. Because the word is shall, not should. It's not an option. If, you, if you're believing, reckoning, yielding correctly, then sin shall not have dominion over you. Praise God, man. When the saint obeys the instructions laid down in those verses relative to his adjustment to the evil nature and the divine nature, Paul says the sinful nature will not exercise lordship over you. And the very next part is for you are not under the... Let me, let me read this last note and then it will lead us to the next part where this handout comes in and we'll stop. When the saint obeys the instructions laid down in these verses relative to his adjustment to the evil nature and the divine nature, Paul says the sinful nature will not exercise lordship over you. It shall not exercise lordship over you if you believe, reckon, you. Amen. Amen. Believe, reckon, you. But like you say, you have to do that every day. Every day. Every day. Every day. You can do it one day and walk in it one day and then the next day not and you sin will have dominion over you that day. It's a daily, moment by moment thing. Moment by moment. I was reminded of a song before this class. And I actually almost sang it at the very beginning. Uh, but I feel like it's a I feel like it, it's appropriate, especially chorus for sure. But I believe the name of the hymn is Singing I Go. And it just, it's just a wonderful picture of victory, the freedom that we have in Christ, and that it's not on us, it's on what He has done. So what that does is alleviates the burden, and what we'll see when we get here, so this is just a little precursor for next class, law puts the burden on you. Yeah. Grace puts it on Christ, the Lamb of God who has already borne that burden. Right. Take on you who labor and are heavy laden. Yes. I'll give you rest. Take my yoke, my yoke, 
Right. My yoke is light. I'm totally probably messing that up. That's but no, that's right. So I, I I love this song. The words of the chorus is singing I go along life's road. Praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Singing I go along life's road. For since Jesus has lifted my load. Praise God. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Singing, I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Singing, I go along life's road, since Jesus has lifted my load. The trusting heart to Jesus clings, nor any year for bold. But at the cross of Calvary sings, praise God for lifted loads. Singing I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising the Lord. Singing I go along life's road since Jesus has lifted my load. The passing days bring many cares. Fear not, I hear him say. And when my fears are turned to prayers, my burdens slip away. Singing I go along my sorrow. Praising the Lord, praising the Lord, singing I go along life's road since Jesus has lifted my load. He tells me of my Father's love and never slumbering I, my everlasting King above. Will all my needs supply? Singing I go along life's road, praising the Lord, praising my Lord. Singing I go along life's road, since Jesus has lifted my load. When to the throne of grace I flee, I find the promise true. His mighty arms upholding me, who will bear my burdens too? Singing I go along life's Praising the Lord, praising the Lord, singing I go along life's road since Jesus has lifted my load, since Jesus has lifted my load.